So I wonder, when I say the word evangelist, or maybe even just evangelism, but let's just start with the word evangelist. I wonder what comes to mind. Maybe you think of someone behind a pulpit in a stadium, like a Billy Graham, who stands up and says, the Bible says, and hundreds of people walk forward. Or maybe the evangelist who came to your church for revival meetings twice a year (laughs) when you were younger, maybe even still, um, depending on where you're from, um, who told stories and just drew people into the gospel. Or maybe you think of somebody on uh, the street corner passing out tracks. Um, when we lived in Virginia Beach, we lived two blocks from the ocean, and um, we didn't live on the touristy end. But occasionally during the summer, we would go down to the touristy end, push our kids around in a stroller just to see what the big deal was. And um, there would often be these people standing on the street corners um, in suits and ties, handing out gospel tracts and King James while everybody walked around in bikinis and shorts and t-shirts and tank tops and they stood out like sore thumbs you know it's like obvious who they were and what they were doing and I always just used to be so conflicted and thinking you know I admire what they're doing they're out here in this crowd for the gospel for the Lord and yet um, they just kind of seem out of touch with their surroundings and and oftentimes they were just perfectly quiet just kind of not really engaging anyone, just handing out the tracks. Um, maybe when you think of evangelism, you think, oh, that's, an, that's someone who's an extrovert. Um, that's someone who's probably a little bit confrontational. Therefore, that's not me because I'm an introvert and I despise confrontation. Um, and I, I realize that in the Bible there is a kind of a technical term for the evangelist. Um, at the same time, um, Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, as if, as if to say you don't have to have the title, you don't even necessarily have to have special gifting of some sort, just do that work. Someone who's, who's passionate to proclaim the gospel and reach the lost What's going on in the heart of that person? Well, let me ask you a totally different question. What's going on in the heart of a worshiper? Does that sound like something that's for everybody? Like, okay, I'm an introvert, but I love coming in and singing and pouring out my heart. To God, like we sing that last song, "Here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true." And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm much more introverted, but you, I can pour out my heart to God in song for what He's done for me. I can sing the good news. Um, but I would say to you this morning that the heart of a worshiper and the heart of an evangelist are the same heart. They all, they both come from the same place, and I believe as we finish Psalm 51, we're going to see that we. 
If you haven't been here, we've been in Psalm 51 for a month. We started back in 2 Samuel where we saw David's sin with Bathsheba. And um, I don't know if anybody in this room pays any attention at all to Twitter. But Twitter has been this massive, massive explosion this week of people arguing about David and Bathsheba. And I'm sure this sermon series had something to do with that. (laughs) I'm sure this had absolutely zero to do with that. But it's just been fascinating to watch. Um, All of that aside, um, we saw David's horrific sin and Nathan coming to tell him a story and that story leading to David's brokenness and his confession of his sin and, and that confession leading to this psalm. And this psalm started out with David just casting himself on the mercy of God, like, God, I have nothing to offer. I'm not going to plead my good record. I'm not going to plead my, my record as a king, my record as a shepherd. You choosing me, me defeating giants. I got nothing to offer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I, and then he goes even deeper and he's naming his sin. He calls it transgression, he calls it iniquity. He says, I'm a rebel, I've crossed the line, I've missed the mark. He even calls it evil. And then he, he says, and I don't even remember a time when I wasn't like this. I know my transgression, my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're right in your verdict and you're, you're justified when you judge. And I've been sinful since I was born. I don't remember a time when I wasn't. I've been sinful since the time my mother conceived me and yet you want truth way down in the secret parts of who I am. And then we saw last week that after this cleansing, after this blotting out of the sin, that there's a next step, that God's goal isn't to just get us back to clean, that there's something that comes next. And we saw this last week. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. The goal is to get back to joy. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. It's as if David is praying, give me all the things I used to have that if I would have had them, I wouldn't have been in this mess in the first place. Give me a resolute heart. Give me, give me back to steadfast and faithful. Give me a heart that's pure. Give me joy. Give me gladness. And Lord, um, don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He had seen what happened to Saul when Saul was king and the Lord just kind of left him and took his spirit away and, and, and said, you're, this isn't your job anymore. And when the spirit left, evil came and things went really, really badly for Saul. David said, I don't want that to be me. Um, And then we see where this goes. I wanted to preach this last week, but nobody wanted to stick around an extra 30 minutes. So we'll do it this morning. Um, Verse 13 starts with the word, then. Then. Then I will do something. So when I know that that you've blotted out my sin, when I know you've cleansed me, when I... 
I have joy back in these crushed bones. When you've created in me a clean heart, when you've renewed the steadfast spirit within me, when the joy of your salvation is restored, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. He had been a murderer. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. So, Lord, when you get me back to where I was and I've experienced your mercy and your grace and your compassion, I'm going to tell about it. I'm going to find rebels, I'm going to find sinners, and I'm going to tell them your ways, I'm going to tell them about your mercy and your compassion and what you did for me, and I'm going to help turn them back to you. I'm going to teach them. Isn't that a beautiful thing? As if to say people who can teach might just make good evangelists, right? I will teach transgressors your way, and as the New King James puts it, sinners will be converted to you. I will teach transgressors your ways. Your ways of dealing with sinners. How you are willing to show sinners mercy and grace. And Lord, if you will, look at verse 15. Open my lips. Just open my lips. My tongue will sing. Lord, give me the words and my mouth will praise you. Psalm 35, 28. My tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. Psalm 71, 8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. And isn't it amazing that what he says is my tongue will sing of your righteousness. David understood that God could be a gracious and merciful and compassionate God and still be righteous. That God could be a judge, a righteous judge, and that he didn't have to ignore that part of himself to forgive. And David said, I will sing about that. I will make that the subject of my songs. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all day, for their number is past my knowledge. Psalm 71, 15. If you will just open my lips. So all, all of these words, I will teach, I will tell, I will declare, I will worship. I will do all of that in response to you forgiving me and giving me back my joy you showing me mercy and restoring me. I guess anybody can be a worshiper who's experienced the grace of God. I guess anybody who's experienced the mercy of God can speak to someone else. Anyone can say, open my lips, Lord. And when you open them, my mouth will say something about you. 
But then he gets to the heart, and there's, there's, this, there's two verses and then two more verses at the end that seem to kind of, you, you read them and you go, wait a minute, why would you say that and then say that? Let me read the first two. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you, God, will not despise. What's he saying here? I'm not, I'm not going to bring a sacrifice for the sake of bringing a sacrifice. I'm not going to bring a sacrifice because I just think that's what you want. Did God, was, was sacrifice God's idea? Yes, we have books of the Bible devoted to it. But he's saying, but he, what is he saying? I'm not just going to do this because I think the act will put me in your good graces. Because what you want is my broken and contrite heart. And the word contrite means crushed. It's, it's, it's humble. You want my humble heart. In other words, I'm not going to sacrifice in order to bribe you, right? I'm not just going to say, okay, God, I'll do this, and when I do this, it will make you happy with me again. It's like anybody can give a sacrifice. Nobody can give my heart but me, and my heart is humbled. And you, God, will not turn that away. The sacrifices of God are a humble spirit, a humble and repentant heart, will not be rejected by God. I think he's remembering Saul again. There's that story back in 1 Samuel where Saul goes into battle and God says to Saul, okay, I'm going to give you the victory here, but don't you dare keep all the spoils of this victory for yourself, okay? Don't you look at this as an opportunity to make everybody rich. I want you to just know you don't keep any of this. And so the battle's ended and Saul disobeyed and they were going to keep all this stuff and the, the prophet Samuel comes up and says, hey, Saul, did you, did you get rid of everything like the Lord said? And Saul was like, yeah, yeah, I did exactly what God said. And then off in the distance you hear, bah, bah. And Samuel says, oh, really, what was that sound? That sounded just like a sheep. Oh, yeah, I thought I would keep that as a sacrifice to the Lord because he's just been... So good to give us this victory. Yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah. Um, and then Samuel says to him these words, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. What God wants you to do is to listen to him. <laughs> he wants that more than that offering which you just lied to me about. To obey is better than sacrifice. David says, therefore my sacrifice is my broken heart. Then he says in verse 18 and 19, something that just seems like, well then why did you just say that? But David steps back to the bigger picture. May it please you to prosper Zion and to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices. Wait a minute. You will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Okay. What's going on here? Well, 
a couple of things. One is, it's the constant prayer and promise of the Psalms that the Lord is going to build Zion. He's going to build Jerusalem, and there's going to be a temple, and it's going to be glorious, and the people are going to come and worship and offer sacrifice. That's not the case in David's life. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. Psalm 102, 16. Psalm 147, 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem and he gathers the exiles of Israel. God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah. He will appear in his glory. So there's, I mean, just go to Isaiah, go to Zechariah. All these promises of God either building or rebuilding Jerusalem and there being a temple and people coming to worship. But here's, here's the thing. You know what else David already knew? David already knew he wasn't the man for it. David had already said, Lord, here is the ark and the priest, and they're over here in this tent. You know what you deserve? You deserve a temple. You deserve a big fine. Here I am living in a palace, and you're living in a tent. No, you deserve a temple. And what did God say? It's, it's great, David, but you're not the guy. As a matter of fact, you don't even get to see it. It's going to be one of your kids. David is talking about something here he's never even going to get to see with his own eyes. It's almost, he he says, David is going to be one of your kids. What he didn't say was, it's going to be one of Bathsheba's kids, Solomon. It's almost as if David is saying, Lord, Don't let what I've done spoil that promise. Prosper Zion. Build up these walls. Let that temple happen. Let the offerings happen. Let the worship happen. And then, and then if you really want to connect it to the bigger picture, and may the transgressors that I teach your ways and return to you, may they be some of the ones who come and offer the worship and the offerings and the sacrifice. What I do in my praise and what I do in my teaching of transgressors, what I do in helping to turn sinners back to you as a response of joy and thanksgiving for your mercy, may that also be a part of the bigger picture of you building your people and your worship here in Jerusalem. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. This is what he's after. So David is even thinking about the bigger picture of the people that he over which he is the king. Like, Lord, don't let me spoil this for everybody. But restore me to play a role. If I can't build it, I can at least lead people to worship. Jesus told this story, I think. It's, it's very similar to this. There's a couple of stories that actually happened. Um, there's a story in Luke 7 and, an, and another one with different responses, but a similar story. Um, a Pharisee invites Jesus over to dinner, and uh, Jesus is reclining at the table um, and says this sinful woman learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and she comes with this alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood beside, behind him at his feet weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped 
her feet with his hair and kissed his feet. She poured perfume on his feet. And the Pharisee saw this and said, well, this guy's no prophet. If he knew what kind of woman this was that was touching his feet, this woman's a sinner. If he knew this woman was such a sinner, he wouldn't be letting her touch him like this. And Jesus knows what he's thinking. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. And he tells him a story. Isn't it always the storytellers? He says, um, there are these two people who owed a money lender some money. One owed him, let's say, I'll say dollars. Let's try and say, one, of them, one, one owed him 500 bucks. The other owed him 50. Neither one of them could pay the guy back. So he forgave both of their debts. Which one of those do you think loved him more? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, the guy, the $500 debt guy, loved and appreciated him more than the $50 debt guy. And Jesus said, that's, that's exactly right. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, you see this woman, Simon? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. You didn't give me anything to wash my feet. This woman here, she's been washing my feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. She's not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put any oil on my head. She's been perfuming my feet. Her sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And this is what he says. Who's been forgiven little loves little. Who's been forgiven much loves much, right? But if you've been forgiven little, you love little. He says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And there's another time where there's a similar situation. Guess who complains? Judas. Boy, that money could have been better spent. <laughs> the only person in the Bible who complains about performance art is a thief. <laughs> there you go. Because of this... You know what Jesus was insulted with? Jesus was insulted with the title, Friend of Sinners. You know who thinks the term Friend of Sinners is an insult? People who don't think they're sinners. <laughs> if you think you're a sinner, the term Friend of Sinners is beautiful. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He wants to be my friend? I'm a sinner. Right here, Jesus. If you, if you don't think you've been forgiven a whole lot, then you're like, oh, Jesus didn't have to strain too hard to forgive me because, frankly, I was already a pretty good dude. But some of us are like, man, Jesus worked hard. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't work any harder on any of us, but he forgave a lot. That's, that's, that's David. It's like, God, you forgive this. I'll tell everybody. I've been forgiven much. So I love much. Friend of sinners. That's no insult if you're a sinner. You know, this is, this is our church vision, right? What does it say? To experience, to know, to experience, and to spread 
the grace and truth of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. To get as much grace and truth from Jesus as we can possibly get and then to spread it to other people. Now, if you don't need a lot of grace from Jesus, you won't have a lot of grace to spread. But if, if you're like me and you're like, my goodness, I need as much grace as I can get, then you'll have grace to spread. So who, what do you think of when you think of evangelism? You just think of somebody who's got a lot of grace. So when you think, you experience and you spread grace and truth, and then you think about your own life and how you're teaching transgressors his ways, you have to ask yourself, or I have to ask myself, where's the bottleneck for me? Like, if it's not happening, there's got to be a, a, a traffic jam somewhere. There's got to be a bottleneck somewhere in my life. Either I'm not getting it, or I just haven't asked God to open my mouth. Either I don't think I need it, therefore I don't think I need to give it, or I really, really know I've received it, and I just am afraid to open my mouth about what I have received. And so we just, we pray on either end, right? And God is... God is perfectly happy to give it, and he's perfectly happy to open your mouth. I really believe both of those are true. I had um, a professor in seminary. He was my evangelism professor. Okay, he was my evangelism professor. He met Jesus during the Jesus movement. Has anybody been to see Jesus Revolution? I'm supposed to go see it tonight. Have you seen that? Yeah, um, I, I'm fascinated by that period of history. Um, he was saved during that time as, as, as a young, young teenager. And... Um, he was the evangelism professor. And you know what he would always say? He's, he would always say, I do not think I have any evangelistic gifts. And you think, why are you teaching evangelism in a seminary? He said, I don't have any evangelistic gifts. But I, Jesus saved me and I haven't gotten over it yet. <laughs> So I'm teaching evangelism, right? Uh, and he's written an incredible book on revival. I've got it in my office if you want to borrow it. Um, and so that's just it. So when, when I go back to the very beginning, what do you think of when you think of an evangelist? You just think of somebody who just didn't get over it yet. It's the same thing as a worshiper. Why do we sing? Because we're not over it yet. David says, I'm, if you get me here, I won't be over it. I'll teach. I'll, I'll open my mouth. You'll open my mouth and I'll tell people, right? And then I'll just pray for the bigger picture that I didn't run it, and that you'll bless, right? Okay. Um, so, we're going to finish with a song today. I asked David this week, can we sing an extra song? Because I had this, I told him this passage, this last sermon, it begs for an extra song. So, uh, he's, he's gracious and sweet to me. Um, um, I just couldn't help th thinking of just... Um, of this hymn. So we're going to sing a hymn and David's going to lead us in it. Um, I was going to read some of the words, but I left my paper behind. So, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to sing it. We That's it. That. How marvelous. How wonderful. Yes. I'll shut up. Let's sing. Let me dismiss this in prayer. Would you join me? God, we talk about marvelous things. We sing about marvelous things. We tell people about marvelous and wonderful things. We tell people the things we sing about. And so, God, I would leave 
We pray that we would leave here today, God, with grace and mercy and compassion and joy on our lips to sing about, to speak about. Lord, everybody in this room very likely knows someone who needs to hear about unfailing love and compassion, who needs to hear about the grace of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who needs to be convinced right now before they leave this place of the goodness of the gospel, who needs to maybe receive it before they even leave here, God. I pray, God, that we would all have open hands right now to trust Jesus. have a Savior to sing about. We sing about the one who died for us. I pray, God, that everybody would know here today he died for me, that it would be personal for all of us, so that when we share this with others, it's not secondhand. Pray, God, that generations to come after we're gone would be different because of the grace and mercy and love that we shared and the truth we proclaimed, that we would be unashamed to speak of the gospel that changes lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.